were honest with ourselves, we could really uh, today take a moment and, and in the midst of your uh, reading of your Bibles, uh, quoting Scripture perhaps, maybe even lifting your hands to worship, that, that at, at, a, at a weaker moment, most of us could admit at some level to, to wondering two questions. I think every person that God ever created has two questions that we want to answer. Does God love me and does he have a plan for my life? I think every, every human being born wants to know the answers to those questions. Does God really love me? And if he loves me, then what, what kind of plan does he have for my life? And, and most of us spend our entire existence trying to find the answers to those two questions. One way or another, if you boil down every activity we do, it's always in a quest to try to find the answer to those questions. Does God really love me? When I go out and sow my wild oats and do something crazy, I think it's because it's all fun for me. But really I'm hoping somewhere, some way, someday that someone will show me that I can change my activity because God loves me. And then he has a plan for my life. And if you begin to wrap your mind around the love of God that he has for you and for the plan he has for your life, then it begins to change the trajectory of your path. It begins to give you a skip perhaps in your step or at least purpose behind where you're moving. Even though we look at God and ask those two questions, I wonder sometimes if in our most honest moments, some of us might even come to God and say, God, Lord, if you love me so much, then why did you allow my child to go so far off course? God, if you love me so much, then, then why did you allow my finances to run straight into that brick wall? God, if you love me so much, why didn't you heal my mom? God, if you love me so much, why didn't you whatever the blank is in your life? So many of us want to say, God, you say God loves me, preacher, but it's not showing up in how I live my life. Let me tell you, if that's your thought process or you had that question in your mind, can I just tell you, you're safe. Because every one of us has had that question at some level or another. Every one of us, in our, if we're honest with ourselves, we have that question at some point. God, if you love me, why didn't you fix it? We could wrap our mind around theology as to the right answer, and I could go there if you really wanted to. But, but the, the truth of the matter is that at the gut level of humanity, I think every one of us has those two questions. Does God love me, and does he have a plan for my life? This morning, I want to talk a little bit about the love of God from the perspective of God our Father out of Luke chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, open up to Luke 15. Luke 15 really takes place. Jesus was talking to some religious folks uh, scribes and Pharisees, and he was, he was really kind of trying to unwrap a bigger story here. In fact, he spent a lot of time talking about three things from the, in the, whole, the entire chapter, from 15, chapter 1 to the end, basically talking about the love that God has for his people. He uses three illustrations in this particular chapter to describe his desperate love for his people. He starts out by talking in chapter 15, verse 1 through 7, by talking about lost sheep, then he goes down in chapter 15, verse 8 through 10, talking about a lost coin. And then the final few verses in chapter 15, verses 11 through 32, talking about a lost son. We're going to spend our time today talking about a lost son. But listen to who Jesus was talking to in Luke chapter 15, verse 1. It says, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners have often come to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with despicable people and even eating with them. That's just amazing to me how people could get so mad at Jesus for loving the people that they weren't willing to love. Amazing. Go down, if you could, to verse 11. I want to talk to you this morning briefly about the prodigal son. 
Uh, many of you are familiar with the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son is that story, and, and we'll read it here in a minute. But really, most of us recognize the story of the prodigal son as the son that basically got fed up with life. And in his adult years, he had another brother, an older brother. In his, in his frustration, went to his dad and said, listen, I want what you got coming to me one day when you die. I, I want my inheritance now so that I can live it out. Took the inheritance from his father, sowed his wild oats, lost it all, came back, humbled himself before his father. His father took him back in. You, you, somewhat the story. But that's what we typically know about is this prodigal son's story. However, I want to take the word prodigal and play with it for a little bit. I, I think most of us, if we're really pressed, um, have a hard time defining what the word prodigal really means. I looked it up to help us. But the word prodigal actually means this. Spending resources freely recklessly, even wastefully extravagant. A prodigal is someone who spends resources freely, recklessly, wastefully, or even extravagantly. I want to talk to you this morning not about the prodigal son. I want to talk to you this morning about the prodigal father. I want to talk to you about a father whose love was extravagant. I want to talk to you this morning about a love that was reckless. I want to talk to you this morning about a love that was without boundary. I want to talk to you this morning about a love that was literally so filled with passion and purpose that it shook up the neighborhood. I want to talk to you about a prodigal father as we look at a prodigal son. Chapter 15, verse 11 says this. To illustrate this point a little further, pause. Remember, he had just gotten through talking about a lost sheep and a lost coin and basically communicated to these crazy people that weren't religious at all that God loved you so much he would go to any length to find a lost coin or rescue a lost sheep. Now he's turning back and, and saying this here in verse 11 to illustrate this point further, the love that God has for his people. He goes on to say this. Jesus told them a story. A man had two sons. The younger son told the father, I want my share of the estate now instead of waiting until you die. So his father agreed to divide the wealth between his two sons. A few days later, the younger son packed up all of his belongings and took it on a trip to a distant land. There he wasted all his money on wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine was swept over the land. He began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him to feed his pigs. The boy became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding to the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he was finally come to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired men have food enough to spare, and here I'm dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned both against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me as your hired man. So he returned home. And while he was still a long distance away, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on my son. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the calf that we've been fattening in the pen. We must celebrate with a feast, for a son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's been found. So the party began. This party right here wants to just stop and wish the story ended here. 
right? You just kind of wish you could read the story and say like, woohoo, lost, found, everyone celebrates, yay, Hallmark story, right? Like my kids always get mad because Paulie and I watch Hallmark Channel and they're just like, they're all predictable. It always works out. It, like this is a Hallmark Channel movie right here, I'm telling you. Verse 22. But the father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Oh, I already said that. Go down to verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field working. When he returned home, he heard the music and the dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother's back, he told him. Your father's killed the calf that we were fattening and has prepared a great feast. We're celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him to come in, but he replied, All these years I've worked for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And all that time you never gave me even one goat for a feast with my friends. Yet the son of yours comes back after squandering all your money on prostitutes and celebrating, you celebrate by killing the finest calf we have. His father said to him, Look, dear son, you and I are very close, and everything I have is already yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead, and he's come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. Now I read this story, and I'm, I'm almost brought to tears. If you're, uh, if you're over the age of 30, you remember Keith Green's version of this, right? I actually listened to it the other day, cried like a baby, sang and cried, and just like a, yeah, anyway. But, but, but listening to this, right? You know, I read this story, and, and here's what I see now as, a, as an older man whose kids have moved out of my house, and I look at this whole story of a little bit with adult children, and I think to myself, this is a picture of a broken home. And this is a picture of a, a house that was in disarray, a house that literally feels like it's been falling apart for some time. It's not unlike what we see today. I mean, it's not unlike families, and maybe to some degree you found your own, I don't know, you found your own self listening to this story, wondering, am I the older brother? Wondering, am I the younger brother? Wondering if I'm the dad or, or, or if I'm the nameless, faceless, out-of-sight mom. I don't know. I mean, you find yourself in some moment saying to you, who, what, where, when? I don't know how it works for you. But Jesus is trying to paint a picture for us of this reckless, passionate love that God has for us. By showing us a story of a dad who, quite frankly, out of context, in, or in the context of this particular culture, was just outlandish how this father responded. But get this, the younger son asked the father for his inheritance. Now, you have to understand, to ask your father for your inheritance early literally meant that at some point, the father would have to sell off a third of his land just to give to the son. So keep in mind that the father now has, has lost a third of all he has. And I say a third because two-thirds belong to the older brother. It's the culture. In their culture, the oldest son got two-thirds, the youngest son got one-third. So in that process, get that, the older brother was already had twice as much coming to him that the younger brother did, and he was mad. Younger brother sowed all his wild oats, and the older brother's just mad, just perpetually mad. You ever just watch God show up in moments in people's life? And you have not felt like you've experienced that same love, and maybe quietly, been just a little mad. Maybe just a little ticked. Maybe just a little, come on, God. I've been asking you for a long time. But you said yes to her? 
Come on. You know what I'm talking about? So we, we mean, you know what? We're too good. We would never admit that. But if you breathe and blink and you're human, trust me, we've had some of that experience. I don't think the older brother's too crazy. Sometimes we read this story and we think that he was just this crazy, heartless, you know, loveless weirdo. He, he's sitting in our church. It might even be you. I don't know. But we have a lot of the older brother in us. Come on. We might not be verbal about it like he was, but we definitely were there. And maybe you're there today. It's interesting. For the younger son to ask for his inheritance was, lit, was quite frankly, uh, the, here's how it would have been said uh, in, in real English. Uh, Dad, my life would be so much better with you dead. That's how it would have come to the dad. That's how it would have come straight to him like a, a punch in the nose. Hey, Dad, my life would be so much better if you were dead. Give me my inheritance now. Hmm. In that culture, not unlike our culture, for a kid to ask that, the response typically would have been, for a father to rebuke his son, chase him off of his, his estate, and then disown him altogether. Hmm. We see a picture of a family that's crumbling right before our eyes. We see a picture of a family that's just trying to be propped up in the community, that people look at them and, and think that everything's okay. We see a picture of a family that appears to have the, all the right stuff, and, and yet this inner turmoil begins to bubble up and over to the point where now it's visible to, well, everyone else. I wonder sometimes if this is, this is a little close to home for most of us. We find ourselves doing everything we can in our four walls, in our roof, to make sure that everything is okay outside and on the inside. We tolerate each other. We even hurt each other. We, we get mad and we say things we shouldn't say and we cross lines and all the things that, that, that cause us to end up going to counseling, right? And yet we find ourselves looking at the picture of somebody that almost feels like looking into a mirror of our own homes, trying to prop it up so everyone thinks everything's okay. Hmm. Both sons were more focused on what their father could give them than the relationship the father wanted with them. Hmm. The word prodigal. Prodigal. I love this. Spending resources freely, recklessly, even wastefully extravagant. I'm going to tell you this morning a little bit about this prodigal father. And as we're looking at this father in this story, I want to show how much alike God he really was and how he showed his love for his sons, just like God shows his love for you and me. Let me tell you, first of all, this story reveals this dad that his nature didn't change, whether his kids were with him or not. It says in Malachi chapter 3, 6, I'm God, yes, I am God, and I do not change. His nature didn't change. This father's nature didn't change. He was always a loving God. He was always a careful God. He was always a, a, a father. He was always a caring father. He was always a, a their father. He was with his children kind of father. You know, he could have demanded for his older son's relationship. He could have said, this is what you need to do in order to get the two-thirds of inheritance that's yours. He could have demanded those things to happen. He could have said, jump through all these hoops and this is what it's going to be. Everyone will think we're doing fine, but on the inside, you're going to hate me and I'm not going to like you. 
He could have demanded that, but his nature didn't allow for that to happen. The nature of this father showing how much he's like God. God's the same way. He loves us right where we are. He loves us whether we, whether we hit the ball out of the park or whether we strike out. God loves us. His nature doesn't change. Whether you know that or not, the picture of the father in this story shows us the, 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 this illustration of the reckless, uh, passionate love that God has for us. It, his nature doesn't change. He's the same God. You mean he's the same God even when I blow it? Yeah. He's the same God when you blow it. He loves you just as much. He, he, he loves it when I, when I do the things that I do. No, he loves you. The things you do aren't helping you any. His love for you didn't change by how you reacted or acted out. What, what does change is how you view God's love towards you. His love never changes towards us. He has a desperate, reckless, prodigal-type love for each of his children, you and me. He has that love for us. And like this father who basically gets kicked in the teeth by both sons and just told, like, I don't really care about you. I care about my stuff. The father's heart didn't change. But I'll tell you what, but if your kids approached you the same way, you'd find yourself getting a little hard-hearted, maybe even a little jaded, maybe a little protective or self-preserved. This father didn't do that. Let me tell you another way like this father was like God. His, not only his nature didn't change, his ways never changed. His ways never changed. Number two, Psalm 27, 11 says this. Teach me your ways, O Lord. Lead me in straight paths because of my oppressors. His love never changed. Even in his wayward son, his love never changed. I love the fact that it says that this father saw his son a long way off. I meditated on the idea that God saw, this father saw his son a long way off. I was thinking about the difference between um, um, God spotting you and God seeking you. The Bible says that this father saw his son a long way off. Is there a difference between God spotting you and God seeking you? Both have this impression of being sought out. Yet one of them feels like God's looking over my shoulder for me to trip. I think some of us have this picture of God being like this father, always looking for us, but really, really trying to spot us doing something wrong. The thing I love about this father was literally he saw, he was longingly searching for his son. He was hoping beyond hope that at any moment that his son would return home. He had an anticipation that his son would come home. In other words, his father knew that at any moment when the son came home, we don't know why the father was preparing a calf to be celebrated with. We don't know if that was, maybe they just did that all the time. I don't know. There was no, there was no real moment that why it was being prepared. But clearly the father, maybe he had been praying to God to say, God, help me, help my son return home or whatever. Let me, let me tell you this. Some people here today have lost, have lost the passion to keep looking for their child who's wayward. And maybe you're here today and you've decided, I'm just done. Now, there's boundaries that need to be kept and held. That's not permissive seeking out. It's not, it, but literally, that you, you've stopped believing that God could save your wayward child. Can, can I say this? He's a loving God. He's able to do immeasurably, abundantly more than you could ever think, and he could find anybody anywhere. And I just want to tell you this, Dad, don't stop. Don't stop believing that God's capable of seeking out your wayward child. Or maybe you're the wayward child and you feel like he doesn't care anymore and he's turned his back on you. Can I tell you this? You're wrong. 
You believe the lie. He's still looking for you. He's, he's, he's not spotting you. He's seeking you. He wants, to, he wants you to turn and say, me. I love this about God because God's not looking around, sitting there going like, okay, what else are you going to do wrong? Just so I can check it off and say that you failed again. You've blown it again. God's not up there doing that. He's simply saying, come on, just come like you are. You don't have to get cleaned up first. Just come like you are because I love you already. Hmm. It's interesting. It says, it says his love. It says the father saw the son a long way off and he ran. Um, you, you and I know maybe of this story enough to know that in this culture, men just didn't run. You know, and I've said before, because like, they were wearing dresses you know, and so long robes. And to, to run, you'd have to pull the robe up between your legs and run. Look like you're wearing a diaper. It looked like silly, right? It's a humiliating thing for a man, especially a man with this much resource. Because this resource, he was a, he, he was a very wealthy man. I mean, to have the, what he had, enough to be able to still survive on two-thirds and sell a third away. He was able to live with some sustenance, sustenance and, and have it, right? So he was a man of stature, a man of means, it would have been too humiliating for a dad to take off running, especially that kind of guy. But he did. Let me tell you this. When you, when you start heading towards home, you don't have to get far. But when you start heading towards home, and I'm talking about heading towards Jesus, returning back to him and just saying, Jesus, okay. And just that little nod of your head, let me tell you this, he'll come running. The Bible says he seeks and saves that, that whom is lost. This story of these three things, the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son, God is desiring. He brought you here today to hear this message, to tell you that he loves you so desperately that he just wants you to give a lean towards his direction, and he's a running. He's a running. Hmm. The third way this father was like God, his plan never changed. His plan never changed. Philippians 1.6 says this, Being confident of this, he who began a good work will carry it on into completion until the day Christ Jesus returns. Jeremiah 29.11 says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and to not harm you. Plans to give you a hope and give you a future. How many believe God still has a plan for your life? I think oftentimes we think that God has a plan B for us because we've blown plan A. Some of, some of you today feel like you've blown plan A. Some of you may even feel like you blew plan B too. Uh, can I tell you this? I, I said this before. I'll say it again. God's not interested in giving you a plan B. He has a plan A. God's plan is a restored plan A. How does that work? I don't know, man. But, but you remember when the Bible says that he gave each of us gifts? You have gifts. You know what those are? They're gifts. He gave them to you because he wants you to fulfill a plan and a purpose and have a hope and a future. He, he actually likes you. He made you this way. Now, now, here's the funny thing. Most of us don't recognize our, our gifts. If you, you don't recognize your gifts because it's a gift. It was given to you, and it just seems natural. And, and it just as me standing up here uh, talking or singing or whatever it is, it just feels like, well, I just can do this because everyone should be able to do this. You know, so uh, CJ, why don't you come up here? I'll show you how you... I'm just kidding. So I'm like, you can get really uncomfortable if you, this isn't your gift, right? Like you can, you feel uncomfortable if you're standing up. I don't, I don't feel uncomfortable at all. More the merrier, man. I, I don't mind. But it's a gift. But put me in your world. If you have a gift for healing like wounds in arms and medical stuff, do not invite me. <laughs> I'm the worst. People will tell me like, pastor, you need to come visit me in the hospital. I'm telling you, you do not want me in the hospital. Because I'm awful. I, I'm not the bedside manner guy. 
I get queasy when I open the door in the hospital, start smelling it. I'm like, oh, please. And, and not once, not twice, but nearly every single time. I'm going to look at you. Seven, every single, I walk into a room, and somebody goes like this. Oh, you're here, Pastor. Look. And they, they'll show me the scar. And I'm like, die. Why? Why? So I'm sorry. If you really want me to care for you, just text me and say, Pastor, pray for me. I'll, I'll pray. I'll fast. I'll do anything. I'll send people, I'll send you money, I mean something, but I'm like, sorry, I'm sweating thinking about it. I'm not a hospital guy, right? But I'll stand up in front of thousands of people, yap on for hours. It's a gift. Listen, God has a plan for your life. Whatever your gift is, whatever your thing is, let him show you. Let him begin to reveal it and unpack it. There's room for your gift. He made you for such a time as this. This is what a loving God does, is he gives you gifts and, and lets you discover it over the course of your lifetime. And you're, ah, oh, that's what that's for. I was in college on a vocal scholarship, so a singing thing. And so I remember thinking to myself, like, when I finally started doing the preaching thing and I stopped doing the singing thing, I was like, I literally had a conversation with God. So God, what was that singing thing all about? I don't lead worship anymore. I just talk. And you know what he told me? He said, here's what that thing, singing thing is for. So in a few minutes ago, I got to come up here and sing. He goes, your job's not to lead worship. Your job's to worship over my church. So every now and again, I grab a microphone, and I just get to worship over you. I don't know what that means, except God just told me to do it. So I get to do that part, right? And that's like my little window. That's when I thought I was going to be American Idol 1, you know, but it's like, <laughs> nope, nope, just Lance. Yeah, I actually did. It's funny. Heartbroken. God's plan never changed. Number, th- number four. His promises never change. Hebrews 6.17 says this, Also, God also bound himself with an oath, so that those who would receive his promises could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. So God has given both a promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable, because, God, because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him, we who have fled to him for refuge can find great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. God's promises never change. And finally, number five, his love never changes. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God has a desperate love for each of us. And for whatever reason, we throw our fist at heaven and say, well, God, you should have done this or should have done that had a conversation just a while ago where somebody came to me and said, well, if God loves me so much, he should have answered my prayer the way I prayed. And I, and I, I said to him, I said, that's not fair, you know, for you to throw that on. Any, any different than your 8-year-old or 12-year-old comes to you and says, you should respond to my request, Dad, the way I'm requesting it. And you would say, as a loving dad, you would say, no, that's going to hurt you. Or no, you don't understand what that would lead to. Or no, if I say that to you now, I'll, I'll, we'll, I'll be giving you a, second, uh, a secondary kind of gift when I have something far greater for you. My no is much more than you think. Hmm. God's love never changes. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That shows me that God's not interested in us getting our life cleaned up first, helping us stop doing bad activities, helping us get our hearts right. Too many people have come to me and said like, you know, Pastor, once I get my my life back on the right track, then I'll go ahead and come back to church, and then I'll start doing this. And 
I, I tell them this. I say, you, you, you remind me of somebody who wants to take a shower before they take a bath. How about you just take a shower and be done with it? And just allow God to shower you with who he is and clean you off. Because it's not you that's going to clean you. It's going to be God who does the work. See, God's love for us is this crazy, impassioned, reckless, prodigal kind of love. And I think every one of us needs to be reminded of that kind of love today. Is it emotional? Sometimes. Does it say no? Some, yeah, sometimes. Is it within boundaries? Absolutely. Is it, is it crazy, impassioned? Uh, yes, all of the above. When I, when I hear the story of this this older son, you know, really, Jesus was talking to a bunch of people at this story, and he says there was this, this older son who was, so he used two people. He used the Jews and the Gentiles. I love this because really what he's describing is Jewish people like the older brother and then Gentiles like us, people who aren't necessarily uh, walking the Jewish way in that, that process. I love this story because it shows us that we, a lot of us as Gentiles, are in this process saying like, God, wait, 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 so we're like the younger brother? We have sown crazy, and God still loves us. Even though we've sown crazy seed, God says, come to me like you are, and he comes a-running after us. Yes. I just wonder what would happen. I wonder what happened after this moment. I wonder what took place after this time. Did the younger brother have a moment of massive repentance and transformation? And did he change how he journeyed his course? Did the older brother just get harder and harder and farther away? See, the question I have for you today is this. What are you allowing to get in the way of the love of God in your life? What are you allowing to get in the way of God just prodigal loving you? Just going for it with you. Allowing him to say yes and no, but lead and guide your life the way he planned on it. What's standing in the way? Is it your pride? What stands in the way of you saying, you know what, God, I, I give, you got me. You have me. Is it fear that he might take fun away from you? Is it, is it, is it shame because you feel like you've, you, you've walked too many crazy things that how could God possibly love you? I, I don't know what the answers are that, that you have or the reasons, but I'm telling you this. Whatever they are, you're at a place today where you can say, God, I'm just a mess. And I can't keep doing this because if I look at how my life's going to end up on this path, it's not going to be good. So if that's you today, and you know there's something standing in the way of you allowing God to love you. I'm inviting you today into a relationship. A relationship with him. Here's the good news. You don't even have to do it. You can say no. It's your call. That's what love's all about. You get to choose to follow it and run to him or, or just say, nope, I'm going to do it my own way. It's your call. That's what love is. Love is a choice. And you get to choose it today. So let's pray. Can we do that? God, thank you for spending your resources freely, recklessly, almost wastefully, extravagantly. Thank you for a love that is so directed towards us that you would give your son's life so that we could see the crazy love you have for us. Lord, in the confines of the walls of this room and maybe even online, there are people today who hear a message and how I have a choice. 
They want to surrender their life to following you or keep journeying the course they are. Maybe that's you today as you have your eyes closed and your heads bowed. And you're deciding today whether you want to surrender it all to him. If that's you, just say, Jesus, I think Lance is right. What I'm doing is not working. It lasts for a couple hours. It might even last for a day. But it's not, it's not scratching the itch in my life. If that's you, just say, Jesus, uh, you got me. I give. I surrender my life to you. Just say it out of your lips. Jesus, I surrender to you. Take all of my sin and pain and shame and hurt and fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I could experience the joy and the freedom and the love of you. You're good, God. In Jesus' name, amen.